But this morning, I want to uh, open up by telling y'all a story about uh, me in college around sophomore year, and uh, a, a, I decided around that time that I was going to get in shape. Uh, clearly, it hasn't really worked for me, and that was like 15 years ago. So, uh, you know, it's been, it's been a long journey. But my buddy Curtis was this super fit, I mean, worked out every day uh, guy. And so I went up to Curtis, I said, Curtis, you're the fittest guy I know, and you're super like, nice about it, so uh, I need you to train me. He's like, you want me to train you? I was like, yeah, I want you to train me. He's like, okay. Like, are you sure? I was like, yes, I'm sure. Like, like teach me how to eat. Like, teach me how to work out. Like, let's do all the things. So he's like, all right, meet me tomorrow. And so I go to the gym on campus, and he's already there, like, ready to go. And I'm showing up, like, just, just I'm, I mean, I'm mentally ready for this. Like, I know it's going to be hard, but, like, I got it. And so I show up. He's like, all right, we're going to start off with just, like, a light jog around the track, do about a mile. I'm like, a mile? Okay, I can do that. Like, you know, when I was in eighth grade, I ran, like, a seven minute. So, like, this should be no problem, right? So, uh, so he, and so I'm looking at him like light jog, right? Like this is a light jog. He goes, yeah, light jog. So he takes off like a gazelle and I'm just sprinting after him while he's just, you know, sort of floating in the air, like barely running. And I'm dying already. We make it like a quarter way around, uh, like a, a quarter mile. And I'm just, I mean, I am panting. Meanwhile, he's running backwards. Like, come on, man, let's go. Like walking basically. And I'm already dying. So we get done with the mile run. I have to puke. I'm holding it back because I don't want to do it. And then he's like, all right, now let's go lift. I'm like, oh, that... There's more? Like, that wasn't it? All right, perfect. So we go over to, and there, if you've ever been to the gym, at least, I don't know, maybe the gym's different now, but back in the day, right, forever ago, there were like two weightlifting stations. There was the one for people like me, where everything's like assisted, so like the machine does 90% of the work, and so you can like pretend like you're lifting a lot of weight, and you, know, you look really cool, but like you don't, because you're on a machine that make, lifts the weight for you. And then there's the one where like the like super jacked people go, he took me over there, and I'm just like, okay, here we go. So we go over to th this place, and I don't even know if he put plates on the bar. Like, it was so embarrassing. Uh, no, he did. I'm just kidding. Uh, and so he's like, all right, let's go. And I am, I am acting all kinds of a fool. Like, I'm, I'm sweating, and I'm trying to hold back a scream, but, like, my body just hurts. And he looks at me at one point, and he goes, I had no idea you were this out of shape. And I'm like, I told you. Like, you didn't listen, but I told you. He's like, right, I thought you were just, like, being humble. But I was like, no, I was being honest. And so... Anyway, all that, have, all that, I was in so much pain, like, for days on end after that. Everything, I didn't know I had muscles that hurt, like, you know, like, it's just, it was horrible. So, what I realized is that my body was not equipped for that task. Like, I was not ready for that, and I was, and my body was deeply ineffective in doing what it was designed to do. Kind of still is, but anyway, uh, but infinitely more important. Is that the, is the body of Christ, the church, must be equipped and trained for what, it, uh, what God has designed it to do, with each part working properly so that the body grows. Let's look into the text. So uh, in the letter to the, to, to, to the Ephesian church, Paul's trying to get them to understand three, well, three kind of overall things. And one, it's what God has done through Christ two, who they are in Christ, and three, how they are to live now because of Christ, okay? So he wants them to understand, kind of overarching the whole letter, what God has done through Christ, who they are in Christ, and how they're to live because of Christ. So what God has done through Jesus, he, the Son of God, God's true King, came to this earth to reverse the curse of sin and defeat death by his death, death and resurrection. Who they are in Jesus, those who trust in Christ are transformed, and they're given the Holy Spirit, uh, and God now sees them as he sees Jesus, a beloved child of God in whom he's well-pleased. And they're identified by this Christ identity. Like, everything else doesn't matter anymore. So 
in the Ephesian church, you had uh, a lot of Gentiles and some Jews. These people hate each other. I'm talking hatred upon hatred upon hatred. And, and they are now part of the same church because they believe the same gospel. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. They're all in it together. And Paul's going, y'all got to be unified. You have to understand your identity is no longer Jew, Gentile, or whatever else. It is Christian. You're this new man, this new thing. And now you're part of the same family. So because you're part of that family, we're going to figure out how to live as a family. So how they're to live because of Jesus. He says, all right, we're part of this new family. Here's the family rules. Here's the house rules. Here's how we're going to live together because of what Jesus has done. And he gives this imagery back up into just verse 8 real quick of what Jesus has done as this. When he, meaning Jesus, ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. So after Jesus conquered our greatest enemy, sin and death. He ascended into heaven and then he gave gifts to the church. This is the imagery of a king going off to war, winning the war and bringing the spoils back to his people to share with them. And he gave all kinds of gifts to his people, mercy, grace, uh, forgiveness of sins, the indwelling Holy Spirit that helps us to live a godly life, but also skills and talents, competencies, passions, to serve and nurture the church. Some of these gifts included word gifts given to uh, some to be ministers of God's word. Okay, so look at verse 11. He, meaning Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. Apostles were men who knew the risen Christ and were given authority by him to found the church, to plant the church, to teach, to correct, to, to uh, uh, speak and write the word of God. Prophets were folks in local churches who spoke the will of God as authoritative teachers of the new covenant. This was before the word of God was complete, before we had the full canon. Uh, apostles and prophets, uh, those, are the, those are back then. That was the apostolic age. It was a unique thing God did back then. They are no longer here. Uh, evangelists. Now, we might think of this as like big tent revival kind of person or like somebody who travels around and gets paid to just like come in and hoorah the troops and then go to the next place. This is a missionary church planner, right? Like that's more of what this is. It's they're going to where the gospel is not known, where Jesus is not known to preach the gospel and to plant churches. And then lastly, you, you have shepherds and teachers. This is kind of one thing. We would call it pastor. Uh, these are people who took care of the church, overseeing, leading, uh, teaching with the word of God. And he gave these word ministry gifts to do a specific thing. Verse 12, equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So these word ministers are given this gift of teaching, this gift of the word ministry. And what they are to do is wisely and accurately teach the word of God to the church so that the church is equipped to do what God has called it to do, which is make disciples. So equipping means to train, to make fit. It's what Curtis was trying to do to me, except he failed. It's like, it's like an athletic trainer to, a co to, to an athlete, right? Athletic trainer to an athlete or a coach to an athlete. So Apollo Creed to Rocky, Mr. Miyagi to the Karate Kid, like that kind of thing. Their job is to make sure that the body is healthy and fit to do what it needs to do. Their role is to train up the church, and the church's role is to minister. Now, this is kind of flips our expectations a little bit, right? It's like, hold on, I thought that was, like, isn't that what y'all get paid to do? Like, to, to do ministry? And like, yeah, sure, in a specific context. But we tend to think that those who are, quote, ministers are the ones that do 
ministry, are the ones that only do ministry. And in some church cultures, that's honestly how it works. They have these massive staffs, like 50 people on staff, and every single person that does the work in the church is somehow paid or is somehow like a professional or something like that. And so the church shows up to a worship service like they're spectators watching a show. And the pastors are the paid performers who do their little you know, show and whatnot, and they, and they give some kind of spiritual benefit to the spectators. And then the spectators' role is to pay for the spiritual benefit that they get by their tithe. It's like what we do at a football game, right? Like we come in, we pay our ticket, we go sit in our grandstand seat that's way in the back because we can't afford the ones that are anywhere close to the field. Uh, and we watch the professionals on the field do the things that we cannot do. But that is not how it works in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no such thing as professional ministry. Professional ministry is not something that even exists in the mind of God. It's not limited to the few, the proud, the professionals. It's given as a gracious gift to the church as a whole, and it requires the whole church to do it. Every part of the body is needed. And so when you're in the church, you are not a spectator in the stands. You're a player on the field, and you don't get to ride the bench. You're in. You're all in all the time. God has called us to use our gifts and the gifts he's given for the benefit of the church, for the building up of the body of the Christ. So present in this church right now are all kinds of gifts, abilities, passions, desires that God himself has given to us, to you, to all of us, y'all, together, for the purpose of building up the body. That's what it says, to build up the body of Christ. And notice that Paul is, you would think that the, 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 the word ministers deliver the word to the church, and the church does ministry. We immediately, and this isn't a bad reflex, but we immediately go, okay, out there, outside the four walls. But what Paul's doing is he says, no, it's for the building up of the church, the people inside. And that is, again, a flip of our expectations. We're, like, we're an evangelistic church. Like, we want people to come and know Jesus. So are we supposed to just wholly huddle up in here and only worry about each other? No, but in this case, we need to focus on each other. So let's figure out what's meant by, being, by the body being built up. It's like a construction metaphor. We're building a building that is for the glory of God. God is building it. He's constructing his church. And so what does a built-up church look like? Verse 13. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Notice that it says we all attain. Every single one of us. This is a, it, it's, it's everybody being built up together, right? On the same, uh, in the same direction at the same time. And Paul's worried, uh, concerned about every single believer in the church. And the word attained here kind of means like arrive. So it's a, des- it's a direction and a destination. There's a process going on and a direction where this built up church is headed. And it's to, at the end of that section, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That's where it's going. Okay, so let's figure out what, the, what that means. So here's what it looks like. Let's start with unity of the faith. We already talked about this a little bit, but Ephesus was a extremely multicultural pagan city. There was all kinds of religious things going on. It was kind of like a New Orleans kind of thing. If you've been there, you kind of understand how that works. Like different religions coming together, different cultures coming together. And so there's a lot of baggage that, that came in from those Gentile uh, pagan Christians. They're bringing in all this baggage. They weren't good old, you know, Southern Jewish people who grew up in the synagogue. They, they, 
they came in bringing a lot of baggage. And then there were other folks who were Jewish who, uh, you know, their history is that they, they knew God. They had all of his oracles. They had uh, the, the, the commandments, and they understood who he was. And they're coming in, but they've got all this legalistic, uh, religious, ritualistic baggage that they're bringing in that they need to repent of. And so you have these two people coming together from very cultural, different cultural context, and, and, and they hate each other. It would be so easy for, in this church, for factions to, have, to, to arise, to have a split church. You got the Jewish side and the Gentile side. And Paul says, no, 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 no. No, that's sin. I'm calling you to unity. So part of a built-up, healthy church is that it is unified. But unified by what? Way deeper than, than culture, national history, nationality, ethnicity, uh, skin color, likes, dislikes, language preferences, political opinions, parenting strategies, or whatever. It's unified by, look here, the knowledge of the Son of God. It's Jesus. That's it. It's the knowledge that Jesus is God's king and that he has been raised up above everything else, all other knowledge, all other, uh, other things, and he's the only one that's worthy of our pursuit. So we come together unified with our eyes fixed on him to grow in our understanding of this reality. The built-up church fixes their eyes on the risen Christ. And when knowing Jesus and making him known becomes the reason and the root of a church's existence and what the church does, they are unified together, right? When Jesus is exalted, ego is killed. Preferences are killed. You show me a church that's full of bitterness and infighting and anger, and I will show you a church that has shifted its focus away from Jesus and onto some pet idol. A church that focuses on anything else other than Jesus is entangled in idolatry, right? The dangerous part is that the focus idol could be a good thing. It could be having a going and blowing kids ministry or a super relevant, really, really fun youth group that like every middle school and high school wants to go to because it's just the coolest thing in town. It could be an amazing VBS. It could even be having excellent gospel-centered music and solid expositional preaching, right? But if the focus is anything other than Jesus, while those things are good things, if those become the foundation of the church, that foundation is going to crumble because there's only one foundation of the church. There's only one solid rock on which the church can stand, and it's Jesus Christ himself. So we fix our eyes on Jesus, and together we pursue knowing him. And this isn't some distant academic kind of like, you know, way out there uh, uh, understanding of Jesus, like you would learn about, I don't know, some ancient history person. It's an intimate knowing. We are able to know him through his word like we would know our spouse or our friends or each other. Every story from Genesis to Revelation in this book is about Jesus. So we dive into this book. We feast on it. It is our nourishment. It is our food. And we do that together through hearing the preached word together. And the result of a church that's unified in knowing Jesus is maturity. Let's keep going. To mature manhood. So unity of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. A built-up church is one that's unified in knowing Jesus and maturing in Jesus. And what maturity means is not that we have it, have it all together, per se, but it's Christ-likeness. 
It is being like Jesus. And that is our aim. Our aim together as a church is Christ-likeness. So we are equipped by the word of God to know Jesus and to be like Jesus. And we have to be really careful with this text and all of the Bible that we don't individualize this text, that we don't see it with self-focused eyes. See, because this letter wasn't written to an individual. It was written to a church, to a group of people bought by the blood of Jesus. And the mature man here in this text is not a particular individual. It's not you, it's not you, it's not you, it's not you. It's we, it's us all together. So the mature man is the church all together. So maturity is not a personal pursuit. You can't do it on your own. And the text here isn't even talking about you as an individual being mature. This isn't a pathway to like self-actualization or some self-improvement plan, right? Like that's not what this is. This is us all together becoming like Christ. Jesus died for a people that would showcase his glory by being unified, by believing the gospel, loving one another, and becoming like him all together, okay? The, notice the relationship between the knowledge of Christ and being like Christ. The deeper we go into knowing Jesus through God, or th- through his word, the more we'll become like him. Y'all remember like in, I don't remember, it's like whatever, the, whatever you do graphs in, whatever math that is, the positive correlation, you might remember that, right? I don't know, maybe, maybe it's just me. It's like the only thing I remember. But like here you have like knowing Jesus and here you have Christ-likeness. They work together. The more you know Jesus, the more you're like him. So if you're not like him, guess what? You don't know him. We, and, and as we grow to know him, we will start to change. We will start to desire what he desires. We will serve like he serves. We will be patient like he's patient. We will be kind like he's kind. We will sacrifice like he sacrifices. And we will love like he loves. And we will love what he loves. And what Jesus loves more than anything is his bride, the church. And so you can't say you're like Jesus if you neglect or hate what he loves. That'd be like coming up to, to, to me and saying, hey man, you're great, but your wife is horrible. Like, I may not punch you, but I'm, I want to. You know what I'm saying? Like, you don't do that. Like, that's, no, she's amazing. Like, let me tell you how, how great she is. Lone Ranger, Lone Wolf Christianity isn't biblical Christianity. It doesn't make a mature Christian. The idea that you can be off by yourself pursuing Jesus apart from the church and grow in Christ-likeness doesn't make sense because maturity is defined as Christ-likeness, being like Jesus. Jesus loves his church. You don't love his church. You're off by yourself. You can't be like him. And you need the church to be like Jesus. I need the church to be like Jesus. Together, through loving and ministering to one another, building one another up, striving to know Jesus in the church, we display Jesus to the world. They look in on a bunch of people who might have a few things in common, but they have the main thing in common, which is Christ Loving one another, dealing with, each, with, with one another's baggage and problems and issues and serving one another and taking care of one another. And they go, oh, like, okay, so that's, that's what Jesus is about? Let's go do that. There are folks in this church that are way more patient than me, way more compassionate than me, way wiser than I am. They, they serve harder than I'll ever serve. They're harder working than I'll ever hope to be. There's, there's, there's folks who love better than I do. There's folks who are better parents than I, than I am. There's folks who read the Bible more consistently than I do, who pray more faithfully than I do. And I 
Without them, I'm a stagnant, stinking pond, but they, through the gifts they've been given, spur me on towards Christ's likeness. And I hope that it's the same. But knowing Jesus together doesn't only produce Christ's likeness in us, it also protects us. Look with me in verse 14. Verse 14. So we, we, we are unified in our knowledge of Jesus to be like him, 14, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So we go from a prescription of maturity, how we mature in Christ and what that looks like, to a description of immaturity. So immaturity looks like a young, impressionable, vulnerable child in a ship uneasily having it sailed filled with false doctrine and assailed by an enemy that wants to send it to the bottom of the ocean. Think of like a dinghy. Y'all know what a dinghy is? Like a little inflatable raft. It's more like an emergency kind of thing on the side of a big ship. Without this unity in knowing Jesus and us pursuing Christ together, we're like a little dinghy that's trying to survive a hurricane. I don't know if you... This ain't gonna work. Not gonna, not gonna happen. Vulnerable. Easily destroyed. And a believer separated from the body is in mortal danger. Carried about by every wind of doctrine. In 1 Timothy, we see that there was some false teaching that arose up in the Ephesian church at some point. Don't know what it is exactly, but uh, it, was, it was against Christ. Um, and, and false teachers had infiltrated the church. And Paul here is saying that if, it's, if that church does not have its eyes fixed on Jesus, fixed on the gospel, focused in, growing and maturing together, it will be lured away into believing that false doctrine. And Paul centers the church on the word of God, particularly the word about Christ. And the purpose of this letter to Ephesians is to clarify and bolster the church's understanding of the gospel of Jesus. And so we need each other to say, hey, remember Jesus. Hey, remember Jesus. Hey, remember Jesus all the time. I need that. You need that. Because as soon as you start to drift away, you start to believe all kinds of crazy things. Y'all remember when we didn't gather in COVID? Like, I don't want to talk about that at all. But like, some people went crazy, like just absolutely nuts. And that's just what I'm going to leave it at. You can fill in the blanks after that too. But we start believing all kinds of crazy stuff when we're, when we're not together with other believers. But there's a, it's, it's not just like this drift that can happen. No, there's a plot against the church by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. It's a very real danger that Paul's talking about. And it manifests itself in people who are teaching false doctrine but Paul communicates later in Ephesians that the father of these lies is none other than Satan himself, right? He says in, in chapter 6, 11 through 12, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the, the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There's intention here, deceitful schemes. It's a planned, coordinated attack against the church Meaning the people, you, all of us together, not the institution known as Ashland Church, but us as a body to bring it down, to bring you down. Satan is strategizing, customizing a plan to destroy every single one of us, right? Because he hates Jesus, he hates the church. So he's taking notes on your weaknesses and his sole goal is to bring you down and you and I aren't smart enough, we're not disciplined enough, we're not godly enough, we're not mature enough on our own to beat him by our own effort and wisdom. When left to ourselves, we are as vulnerable as a dinghy out in the middle of a hurricane to an enemy that wants to swallow us whole. 
But God hasn't left us to ourselves. He's provided each other. He's provided us, the church, to help us withstand the enemy. He's provided the church for our protection. And yet we can so often view the church as the enemy. We got it backwards. You know, we, we, we're in sin, and that shame that comes along means, you know what, like, I just can't be around those people, right? Like, darkness doesn't want to be around light. But instead of running to the light where our sin can be exposed, where God can heal us and, and start to transform us and, and, and receive the love that Jesus has for us, we run the opposite direction. Well, guess what happens then? You just burrow yourself down in a deeper hole. Because when you avoid the church, when you avoid dealing with your sin, with your fellow believers that God has given you as a gift, sin starts to consume you. It overcomes you. And as it overcomes you, you isolate more. And as it overcomes you more, you isolate more. And then eventually, you're out on your own, and God only knows what's going to happen. Sin hides, sin hides, sin hides. It's a vicious downward spiral that eventually destroys us unless we will all dive headlong into pursuing Jesus together. So we grow in our knowledge of Jesus through his word and into his likeness together. And the way we do that is verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So Paul instructs the church that we are to speak the truth in love. What does that mean? He's talking about the gospel. We're supposed to look at each other and say, hey, remember Jesus. Hey, Christ died for your sins. Remember that. You're not going to go to hell. Remember that. You're going to live forever with God. You have the indwelling Holy Spirit in you because of what Christ has done. God loves you because of what Christ has done. And we're to do this out of a deep love for Christ and one another. The foundation of this is all love. So when a brother is suffering with cancer, we're to run to them and comfort them and tell them that there's a hope that overwhelms their current horrific circumstances. We remind them of a glory they will experience where they will see their Savior face to face and there'll be no more suffering. This past week, I went to go do just that. Now, I'm not telling you this because I'm like, hey, look how great I am. I'm not. I went there to, to Tom Webb to go and, and, and encourage him. You know, he's had a rough way to go. If you don't know, he has brain cancer. It's a big deal. Um, and uh, this is the beauty of trying to encourage somebody with the gospel is that they normally turn right around and they do way more for you than you ever hope to do for them. And uh, earlier, he, I hope he's okay with me sharing this. I didn't ask his permission. But he had, um, he'd fallen, right? And just, just tripped over something and, and hurt his head really, really significantly. Blood was going everywhere. And Linnell was telling me the story. And she said that when he came out, blood was everywhere all over his face. And he looked at her and he said, you know, I'm just really blessed that it wasn't worse. I'm like, blessed? Did you have brain cancer and your head is bleeding? Like that's, I would be miserable, but I need him to display the joy that the gospel and only the gospel can bring. When a sister is entrapped in sin, we run to her and we plead with her to remember that Jesus is better. Come on back. Jesus is a far greater treasure than anything that, that than this world and your sin can offer. Now, I'm not going to share any particular story about that because that would be weird, but I don't have one any, anyway. We gathered ourselves together to remind one another about the gospel, that God loves us to the point that he gave his son that we can be forgiven of our sin and have life with him abundant. And as we do that, the body grows. Verse 16, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it's equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself in love. All right, let's look at whom here. Whom is Jesus? And it's he that makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. He, Jesus is sovereignly in control 
of the church. He is guiding her towards a direction which is Christ-likeness. He's the one who's behind it all. And so when we, the members of, of his body, are submitted to the head and serve and give ourselves over to the benefit of one another, the body is built up. A body part that's working properly is inherently focused on nurturing the body, right? It doesn't see itself as disconnected from the body. It goes, okay, my role is to do this specific thing so that the body is nurtured. A selfish body part is focused on its own nourishment. So I want you, this is a dumb analogy, okay? I just need to be forewarned about that, but I think it works. So let's say the body, right, the church, and you have a, a rogue finger, and the finger is just really worried about itself. You just have a selfish finger. And so it's just working and working and working and working. It's reading the Bible, right? It's coming to worship. It's, it's, it's reading deep theology books. It's got a vibrant prayer life. But it's all about the finger. It's all about what, what the finger can get. It's using the resources of the body to, to work itself out. Eventually, this, this finger gets really, really muscular and huge. Just think of like this massive muscular finger. Like it's got a bicep over here, like up here, it's got like these, those weird like neck muscles that like bodybuilders have, you know, like right there. It's just this massive, gross looking finger. And the body goes to do something, like goes to pick up something. It's like, it's like, I don't, I can't, what do you, you're, you're so gross and huge. Like what's wrong with you? You're a, you're a weird finger. Like why are you, you don't, you don't work properly. I told you it was stupid. But when the finger understands that it doesn't exist for its own, its own self, when it realizes that it's part of a greater body and that it exists to serve the body for the glory of Christ and is submitted to Jesus for the benefit of the body, it's an indispensable part of the body, right? It works the way God intended and designed for it to work. So when the body goes to serve, hungry, serve food to the hungry or when the church goes to grab a brother who's running towards sin to pull them back, or when the body goes to reach out a hand of comfort to, a suffer, to someone who's suffering, the body is able and the finger is able to be used in a powerful, Christ-exalting, gospel-proclaiming, loving way. But there's another way that this kind of wrong body part not doing what it's supposed to be doing can work out. The power finger thinks it's too important, but the nose hair thinks it has no importance. Now, I have to be very clear. There was a time years ago when Pastor Jeremy gave this illustration. So as to not be, uh, you know, like accused of plagiarism, this is Pastor Jeremy's illustration. I know this is like preacher 101, you're not supposed to do this, but it's a really good illustration. All right? Nose hair. So you are a nose hair in the body of Christ, which, whoever you are. I don't know which one, right? I don't even know what a nose hair would be. But the nose hair seems insignificant, right? And it's, it's sitting there and it's like, man, I, I'm just gross. Like I just have snot on me all the time. Like this is nasty. All of a sudden, like I just get like, you know, the body just blows and snot just flies over me. Like, like I don't like my role. I don't like what I'm doing right now. So the nose hair and all the other nose hairs are like, we're out, we're done, forget this. And they stop contributing to the body. They're done. Well, Nose hairs are shockingly important to the body. They block all kinds of dust and allergens and pollen and all those things that Kentucky likes to throw in our faces. And so if you have no nose hair, all that gets into the lungs and the body becomes sick. Body becomes sick. So a nose hair that thinks it's insignificant, 
that's grumbling about its role, that doesn't like it, or thinks that it's, that it's useless, needs to be reminded, you go be a great nose hair. Be the best nose hair you can be. And this is why, this is not the only application point of, of today's text, okay? But this is why it's so important for all of us to be in a Bible fellowship group. Now, I want to be very clear. This is not just a really long-winded pitch for Bible fellowship groups, okay? There's all kinds of ways that we do this together. Just being Christians together, when we go to eat out at, at, at Nuevo, like, we can do this together because we're Christians. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We can do this at any time. When we serve one another together in, in Ashland Kids or at Awana or in the parking or, or, or tech or whatever it is, there's all kinds of ways that this works itself out. But I'm going to focus in on one for right now, just one particular application, Okay? We're going to talk about BFG because there's a reason we have BFGs. And it's not just because we looked in like the big book of church management and it said like, this is a super effective way to disciple your people and gain a bunch of new people and blah, blah, blah. No, like that doesn't exist. And we would probably wouldn't do it because it said to do it if that were the case. But our BFGs exist for a reason. And that's so that we can do this exact thing. We can hear the preached word come to us and then we can flesh it out in a small context, in the presence of one another. And so here's the way it works. If you don't know what a Bible fellowship group is, a BFG, there's small groups. Like that's it. It's a small group ministry that we have that meet in people's homes all throughout Madison County. They all happen on Sunday. Um, we hear the preached word. And, then we, and, and, and think, of, uh, think of this time, this worship time as like a big old bonfire, right? Like it's glorious and wonderful and amazing and it gives heat and you're like, yeah, this is great. It's awesome. And then each BFG is like smaller campfires where the, the embers are still going, the flame is still going, but it's, it's smaller and it's more specific and we're able to get more detailed with each other. So you hear the preached word and then you come together and you look one in the eye and you go, okay, we just heard the word preached. God has spoken through his word. Now what? What are we going to do about it? And you confess sin and you, and, you, and you share, like, hey, here's, what, here's how God's dealing with me. Here's what was going on in there. I've been unfaithful in this way, or I need to do this, or I need to do that. I need to serve in this capacity. I need to love you all more because you all are kind of driving me nuts. Like, whatever it is, there's all kinds of ways in which that works out. But we're able to say these things and to be held accountable towards following Jesus. There's mechanisms that are just built into it, right? Like, you, here's the deal. You're in a BFG, and you stop coming for a while. Somebody's going to call you, and they're going to be like, hey, what's going on? I haven't seen you in a while. And they're going to call you back. We're able to care for one another in a much more particular way. I, like, just seriously, like, look around, right? Like, we have so many people here. So many. It's kind of overwhelming. There's no possible way that unless we make this big church small that we're going to be able to, 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 to build one another up well. It's not going to work. And there's some ways in which BFGs are on the front lines of building each other up of building up this church. Uh, my BFG has gone through a lot of different iterations. We've grown and then we multiplied, which means we send folks out to go start their own. And we've done that so many times. And uh, so there's been a lot of people kind of in and out of, of our homes. We've been in, in and out of a lot of other people's homes. And we've gone through some of the most difficult things together in BFG. And we've been most taken care of in so many ways by our BFG. There was a time uh, years ago where every single couple in our BFG experienced a miscarriage within the same year. That was ridiculous. It was horrible, awful. But if we did not have each other, I don't know where we would, where we would all be. Off the deep end, 
But because we were, we were together, we were able to commit to one another and take care of one another and take care of each other's kids uh, when we needed to grieve and bring each other's food when we just couldn't manage the thought of even eating and being like, hey, you're going to eat. You need this. There's been other times in other BFGs where you hear uh, stories all the time about how they care for one another, they take care of one another in simple, in simple ways. BFGs are always the first ones once, once, when someone uh, has a baby to set up a meal train and shoot it out on Facebook and say, hey, come on, they need help. Let's go, let's go. There's so many ways that we see this building up happening in a BFG. But it, also, it, it also helps us uh, to be on mission together in, kind of in, 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 in a way to be like, you can show up to BFG and someone might ask you, hey, who'd you share the gospel with this week? Oh, okay, nobody. All right, let's drive next week. Let's go. Or we, when, when we think of, of uh, mobilizing uh, to do different tasks and different things of service here, serving college students. They're here. Hey, what's up? Uh, serving college st- students here, here uh, even today. BFG is the first people we contact. Like, hey, who can we mobilize to go and do this thing? There's so many avenues where the church is built up through BFGs. And I have personally benefited from so many. One, one of the ways that I didn't expect to be benefited from, from, from a BFG, and, and don't hear this the wrong way if you've been in my BFG, I don't mean this negatively at all, is that it has put me with people that I naturally probably would not be around, right? Not because I don't like them. It's just like we don't, you know, you don't like immediately connect. But those are some of the people that I've learned to love so deeply. And the, the idea of not having them in my life is unconsciousable. I can't, I can't imagine it because they have so deeply encouraged me in different ways in how they, have, uh, how they follow Christ, how they love their spouse, how they parent their children, how they serve people. And it's been a deep encouragement to me. And so you may be here and you're like, yeah, I have no idea what, you know, I've never even heard of a BFG the first time I'm hearing it. I'm going to encourage you to get involved in one. We're going to be giving more information about that like as we go um, you know, in the coming weeks. Semester doesn't start until September 11th, so uh, we've got a little bit of time. Some of you have been here for a long time, and that's just, you're just like, I'm just not going to do it. Like, it's just not what I'm, what I'm here for. Like, I'm not going to serve in that way. I'm not going to put myself in those vulnerable positions with people. I'm not gonna, I don't need to be held accountable that way. I'm good. Hey, you're not, all right? <laughs> you can't do it on your own. You can't. And it's not me, in my opinion, saying that. It's the word of God that says it. And you are making yourself uh, an easy target for the enemy to bring you down. And some of you have been at BFG for a long time, and uh, you need to step up and be a leader. Like, that's just what it is. You need to go, hey, okay, I'll lead. I'm gifted in that way. I can do that. I can organize those things. I can ask questions. Like, I can probably do that. We need you to step up. We need a lot more BFG leaders. Look at that. There's a lot of people. We need more folks to, to step up to do that. Now, just because you want to doesn't necessarily mean that we'll be like, yeah, great, perfect, awesome, let's do it. Maybe it's a, you know, later on uh, kind of thing, but you need to step up to do it. Some of you are like, hey, I'm not gifted in that way. Like, I can't, I can't manage that. I can't teach, can't lead in that way. I don't feel like I'm qualified for that, but I can be hospitable. I can open up my home. I can host a BFG. We need you too, okay? And so we've actually, again, I, there's so many ways that we can flesh this out. I'm just targeting this one particular area right now, so don't hear what I'm not saying, but we, we, we want and need more BFG leaders and BFG hosts so that we can do this work of building one another up so that people can see the love that we have for one another and then put it out on display so they see Jesus more clearly. That's why we're doing it. And so you're gonna receive a card when you walk out today. 
Uh, it's got a QR code on it, and it, all it is is, is, hey, if you're interested in, in being a BFG leader or a BFG host home, you just fill out a little form, take you like two seconds uh, and do that. And I encourage you to do that. If you have any inkling of doing that, I encourage you to do that. But we want to be a body that is well-equipped with the word of God, unified by our commitment to Jesus so that we can all mature together. Because a body that is ill-equipped for the job Jesus has given us to do is a body that's going to fail and falter and eventually crumble. And that won't be us. And I do want to say, just as a word of encouragement, this is a really healthy church. We love each other really well by the grace of God and the work of the Holy Spirit. And I'm so thankful to be a part of it. I, w- I was actually talking to somebody yesterday at the ball field who's kind of had a rough way to go with church. And, and she was just kind of talking about, you know, the different ways that churches have failed her and that kind of stuff. And, and I felt kind of, I didn't feel bad about this, but, but it was an awkward moment because I was like, yeah, I've never experienced any of that. Like, I've been, like, my church is kind of great. Like, I don't, I'm sorry. Like, you want to come to ours? Like, maybe it'll be good. I don't know. Um, and so I, the sp- be encouraged that the Spirit is working. God is working. And he's using each, all of us together to build one another up towards Christ's likeness. May we be a body that is well-equipped for the task God has given us to make disciples of each other and a lost world that's out there.